Be Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. As I've said before, we must be very careful with our words. In this episode, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about veterans and PTSD. Uh, If you've listened to me for any period of time, you'll know that I have PTSD due to uh, an incident that I was involved in where I lost my partner and I was shot. It was that incident that led me to a diagnosis of PTSD. However, it was several years before I realized what was happening. I remember it was probably five or six years after the incident that I had moved back to Arkansas from North Carolina, that I was working in a assisted living housing project, eight-story high-rise, and I was required as the manager to live on site. And I really enjoyed my job. Everything was going great. I was enjoying it. I was doing things that I liked. I had a girlfriend. I mean, life just could not get any better. And then I just started having these episodes of where I could be going to Walmart or the grocery store and just just start crying to the point of where I had to pull over and I didn't know what was going on. And so I, you know, tried to brush it off that, you know, things happen and it could be like seasonal affective disorder, something, you know, with the weather changing, the, the seasons changing, and but it just got worse. And, and I really couldn't understand it because everything was going so well. And I, I even thought, well, maybe it's something to do with my faith. And so I, I tried harder to get closer to God, and it just didn't seem like anything that I did worked. I still had these episodes of just crying. And then after the episodes of crying came, I started having panic attacks, and I'd never experienced that before. I could just be going about my day, and all of a sudden, something happened, and uh, w- with no no reason, it just happened. And so I, I really began to, to think about what was going on. Now, I wasn't depressed. There wasn't anything internally that was bothering me. And I had good friends. I had a good support system. I had a girlfriend. Everything was going okay. And I remember going home one day, and I went up to my apartment. And in my apartment, the the little maintenance closet, if you will, where the, the laundry was, there was this big four-inch cast iron roof drain that, that came down and curved through my maintenance closet. And I remember just going in there and putting a load of of clothes in the washing machine and looking up at that pipe and saying, you know what? I could just hang myself and everything would go away. And in that moment, thankfully, I had the clarity of mind to say, "What what am I saying? What am I thinking? And so I... Did the only thing that I knew to do. I called my mom and and told her what was going on, and she told me that that I needed to go to the hospital. And I remember thinking, there, I can't go to the hospital because if I go to the hospital, they're going to commit me, and if they commit me, then 
You know, I, I lose so many privileges of life. And I just did not want to go to the hospital. And in those moments, as, as crazy as it sounds, I would have rather died than had to go to the hospital and deal with everything that, that comes with that and the imposed shame and, and guilt that other people may look at you differently because of your mental health. And so we contacted a psychiatrist that I knew personally, and and uh, he got me on a, on a cocktail of medicine, as we say. And uh, my mother stayed with me for for several weeks, and I just remember in that that everything was good. There wasn't really anything bothering me, and it just came out of nowhere. If in that moment of weakness, I had someone who was not being nice, someone who was antagonizing me, it would have been very easy for me to feel like I wasn't worth it and to go ahead and follow through with those thoughts and those ideas. As I've said, our words have so much power and we don't know what somebody may be going through. We may be the one person that gives somebody that hope, that hope to push on, that hope to to stand firm, that hope to know that there is a hope and a better tomorrow. And so I, w- I want to encourage you today that to realize that there are people walking among us that are hurting, that may have suicidal thoughts, and that you can bring light into their life just by speaking hope, just by acknowledging their existence, just by seeing them. And for those of you who may be listening that have been where I've been, or maybe you're there now, I want to tell you there's hope. It gets better. Just hang on. Hang on. It gets better. Everybody, Doc Brian here, and welcome to Doc Talks. Uh, today, we're going to uh, dedicate this uh, podcast to our veterans who have served in in the armed forces, and uh, we just want to say a big thank you uh, to all of those who have served. Today, I have with me uh, Megan, who is with Braveheart, uh, which uses horses in a therapeutic way uh, with veterans. Um, who suffer from various mental health conditions. Uh, Megan, it's good to have you with us here today on Doc Talks. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So tell us a little bit about Braveheart and, and how it got started. Braveheart is, we're located in Illinois, and we are the largest program in the nation that services veterans with horses. We're a nonprofit accredited program. And it really got started in 2002. Uh, The individual who founded Bravehearts is a woman by the name of Marge Gunner. And she was, had survived ovarian cancer, was a horsewoman before, really helped have her horse Max by her side while she was going through treatment for ovarian cancer. Came through, was known as a statistical miracle at the time surviving ovarian cancer and really found how much her horse, Max, had helped her not only while she was sick, 
not only giving her something to look forward to, but just really wanted to share, um, you know, the healing properties, if you will, of horses with others. And so she founded a program for children with various diagnoses and ended up had a, had a colleague, a gentleman that she worked for by the name of Dr. Rolf Gunner, who was a Korean War veteran. He was a medic on the front lines and also a cardiologist. And she, Marge actually worked for him for a few decades as his medical assistant, invited him out to the farm to see what she wanted to do for kids. And he was completely taken with it. He said he immediately felt almost a healing vortex at our farm and his own background, you know, back then we didn't call it PTSD, but he had um, a lot of things that he personally was dealing with. And he just felt this incredible peace and quietness at the farm with the horses. And he had this vision to share what he felt with other veterans. And so Dr. Gunner really started to pave inroads with the VA hospitals in Chicago and said, hey, let's bring veterans out to, to Bravehearts. It's about a little over an hour drive from Chicago to this farm where I'm at today at Bravehearts. And because he was a cardiologist, he was so well-respected that VA, the VA hospitals in Chicago, North Chicago and Heinz and Jesse Brown said, okay. And ever since then, really, we've been servicing veterans and have been growing not only in who we serve as veterans, but also in our knowledge, you know, being pioneers in this field, really um, understanding what all is capable of with horses, how to have that um, service or program, if you will, deliverable in a safe and effective manner. At Bravehearts, we believe with veterans, you know, we've got one shot to get it right. When we get a veteran who takes the chance on us to come out to the farm, it's really important. The work we do is, is customized. Um, we don't have a set curriculum. Everything is one-on-one -on -one as, as soon as somebody comes in the door to try to, to meet their needs and, and what, what they want to get out of a horse. And, and really, I can tell you, first things first, you know, we just, just getting vets comfortable around the horses. We don't need to talk about diagnoses. We don't need to talk about, you know, struggle. We just start to talk about the horses and the horses are just an incredible biofeedback loop of showing us, you know, really what we need to work on. And, and there's a whole self-discovery process, I think, that happens at our farms with the horses for most veterans that they would tell you. So as, as I mentioned to you, I, I've never really been around horses. I've never ridden a horse. But I, you know, I have a dog, um, mm -hmm. Lucy, she's a black lab. I just love her to death. And I suffer from PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I am in a, in a spiral, as I call it, that Lucy picks up on that and she, you know, and she's not trained in any sort of way, uh, but she picks up on that and she comforts me in, in certain ways. Do horses also have that kind of sense of, when they are assumably working with the same person that that they kind of pick up on those emotions as well. Absolutely. A lot of people ask me what the differences are between dogs and horses and, you know, canine therapy, equine therapy, whatnot. I'm a dog person too. I, I love my dog. What horses and dogs are, are very different in, as a species. Dogs are pack animals. Dogs are also very food driven. 
Um, and dogs are also, because they're a, a predator, you know, their they're natural makeup, you can push a dog away, right? And they'll confidently, you know, generally come back to you. Horses aren't that way. Horses are a prey animal. Horses are a herd animal. And horses have survived, you know, 50 million years. And so what they're really good at is reading intention. They're brilliant at that. So they can pick up immediately if they feel safe or not safe just by reading the air, reading the energy, just by, you know, we don't even have to say it. Horses even have an instinct that has been studied here recently in some research where they can sync up their heart rate. They can trap adrenaline in their nasal cavity and sync their heart rate up with the closest one near them. In the herd, that works great, right? Because there's a mountain lion and everybody, you know, the lead mare gets elevated. The herd's got to bolt and go for survival. And so horses are really keen at being able to do that. And so what horses require us to do is first of all to trust them first before they trust us trust is a big one that we talk a lot about at brave hearts and then the other piece with horses is they have no ability to harbor you know they don't worry about what happened an hour ago they don't they can't worry about what's going to happen an hour they're only living in the moment and they're only responding in the moment. And so what that does is if you went in the round pen with a horse and I went in the round pen, we could have two very different horses just by who they're with in that moment. And so what we're working on when people come out to our farms and getting close to horses is just being with the horses and just acclimating yourself and getting comfortable working on breathing and softening our joints and thinking positively and just trying to help that horse get himself comfortable. And the minute you do that, you like the, it's like, they're like, you trained them to do that. I'm like, no, that's just the way that mother nature built them. Mm. They'll see the horse drop his head, soften his eye, you know, take a breath, gravitate, draw towards the person. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, I did that. Yeah, you did that because he feels safe and comfortable with with you. Horses in the in the wild, if we study their, you know, who they are as a species, like I said, there's typically one horse in the herd. They're the lead. And typically it's it's a mare in the wild, but they're the lead that will then drive everybody's feet towards water, towards feed or grass, away from, you know, a predator. They're in charge. And so that's a difficult job. Once you're the lead horse, every the whole herd depends on you. But horses as a species, they're always looking for who's going to take care of my feet. Because whoever takes care of my feet, I can let down and feel comfortable and feel safe with. And so that's really what we work on at Bravehearts is this horsemanship model about being a consistent leader that can help a horse take a hold of his feet, right? So teach you how to back up, teach you how to you know, move, move his feet, whether it's in the round pen or with a lead rope or even under saddle. And once you have a hold of his feet, you have a hold of his his mind and, and his heart and he feels safe and confident and you become his guardian angel. And that is a very 
empowering process to think there's a 1200 pounds animal here. He's putting his life in my hands and it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So I want you to come, you got to come out. <laughs> yeah. I may, bring Lucy. I may have to do that. Yeah. So in, in thinking about this, uh, particularly veterans who are suffering with PTSD, mm -hmm. uh, who are trying to begin to learn coping skills, sometimes they are on high alert or they're kind of wound up. And so essentially what they are having to do is learn to calm themselves. But what they're doing is being calm for the horse, but in turn learning the coping skill of how to calm themselves. Exactly. Interesting. And it's exactly what it is. Um, and we're when it's happening, right, it's not because somebody's telling you to do that. It's not to do it for you. It's you're doing it for another creature, right? Which I think is what most of us would rather do, right? Especially veterans rather help somebody else than help themselves. Right. So it takes the focus off the person, puts it on another creature. And that creature is really, we're helping the, the horse. And while we're doing that, the horse is teaching us all these incredible life skills of positive mindfulness, of breathing, of softening of our joints, softening of our eyes, blinking, you know, all of these just things that we, you know, oftentimes forget when we get in that moment of of worry and concern and panic where things go right out the window of practicing that skill set. And, and we hear that all the time about how, how veterans take what they learned at the farms and they integrate that into their lives. And it doesn't have to be me telling someone or one of our instructors or, or, or therapists or anybody telling somebody, it's like I said, it's self-discovery. You go come to the farm, you spend time with horses, you feel good because you help them. They make you feel good. You put your head down at the end of the night and you think like, wow, that really worked. And you do that a time or two or 10 or a thousand. And all of a sudden that skill becomes something that you live with, you know, and, and it really becomes a part of you. There's something about a horse that softens the inside of you. Um, and you talk about that high alert or hypervigilance. Self-preservation is what lives in a horse. He's constantly trying to figure out, because again, he's a prey animal, life or death. Is this safe or not safe? We've brought in nine wild Mustangs to Bravehearts, horses that had never been touched ever when we got them. And we let the veterans be involved in that whole gentling process. And oh my goodness, you see an animal who went from being afraid of everything to now wanting to be around everyone. It's, it's incredible. And it's all because of the time, the relationship and believing, you know, believing in, in an animal that no one else believed in is very rewarding. And, and we believe the same that our vets are so worthy of us all believing in them and their potential and just, you know, helping, helping one find that again is, is awesome. Sure. And I remember when I was probably a junior in high school, we went to visit. I have an aunt and uncle that, that live in Maryland and we went to Assateague Island. Is, is, mm -hmm. Are you familiar where they have the wild horses? Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about this, I recall 
that there were horses that would go to certain people, but then they wouldn't even get near other people. And so there was that, as you said, that sense of preservation of, you know, who do we trust? Who do we not trust? And, you know, growing up here in the South, you know, we have rodeos, we have things like that. And I, I'm familiar with the term breaking a horse in. You know what that means. Um, how does that relate to a veteran who may already be uh, very, I don't want to use the word afraid, but maybe skeptical of this 1,200-pound animal? Mm-hmm. How do you comfort them in this process? Because as you said, you've you've only really got one shot mm-hmm. to to really make it work. So how do you get them to be comfortable along with the horse to be comfortable when, when they're both maybe in that self-preservation mode? While you were saying your question, I was like, well, there's a lot of different directions we could go with that. First, let me just address the term breaking. You know, basically means to break an animal down. I mean, that's what old school, you know, horsemanship was. Um, we use the term gentling. And again, we're about trusting the horse first before he can trust us. And there's a process. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's fast. It just depends on the individual horse and how much pressure they can handle. And I think the same is true with, you know, people coming to our farms. Sometimes we're going to have a veteran who's going to come to us who's going to tell me he's ridden his whole life. And sometimes, like you said, we're going to have somebody that's like, I don't want to have anything to do with these. We've had those kind of people come out to the farms. The VA will bring out groups of veterans and I'll always say, who wants to go in a round pen? Right. And I'll have 10 guys raise their hand and one guy doesn't. And I'll always say, that's the guy, the one guy that didn't like, okay, I'll know that intuitively. That's the one that we're going to slow things down on. And really just, just energy, just quieting our energy, just getting close to the horses, just touching them, just learning how to just even just using our fingertips, you know, it doesn't have to be a smack or a pat, like understanding how soft horses can be. And the horses do all the work. The horses then immediately respond to that. Like you can just let your fingertips drip off their neck, just like that. And you can watch that horse just like draw to you, like a magnet, like a moth to a flame, like that was. And then all of a sudden you got somebody that's never touched a horse before. That's like, because of you, because you just did that. Like you put that feeling, that touch, that softness into that horse. And he is attracted to that. He wants to be near that. And once you do that, that gentling process, everything from the first touch to a first halter, to a first saddle pad, to a first saddle, to a first time, you know, somebody goes to step on a horse. Those are all building blocks of trust. And we don't push anybody, you know, any further than they want to go. And sometimes, you know, we're really blessed at Bravehearts. We have a herd of about 48 head of horses. And so we have big horses, little horses, narrow horses, wide horses. We have horses that have been with us for decades and horses that are newer to us. And our staff is exceptional at determining which horse. I mean, they're really good. Like you get a group of, you know, 5, 10, 15 people that have never been around horses. And you're thinking through immediately, reading the air, looking at how that person carries themselves, looking at, you know, what may come out of their mouth or not, like knowing immediately, like I'm going to put Hank with him. I'm going to put Winston with him. That's going to be a good one to to go near Duke. Again, just knowing 
that the horses are going to respond favorably to that person. And I think that comes, I think that's really been at Bravehearts, honestly, you know, from mistakes. I mean, I'll be the first one to say it. You know, we've been doing this now here for a few decades and it's been a steep learning curve. We are very committed to veterans and their success. We understand it is not an overnight fix. We understand this is a journey. And by opening up the window of horses, so many times I see it become not just a lifeline, a, a passion for people. Like I, I always had dogs or I had cats or I've never been around any animals. Like this works. Like I feel better. Like I leave this farm happy. Like I'm comfortable. I feel safe here. And again, I think that's just over time, just, you know, building and building and building. You know, one of our programs that we've done here the last five years is called Trail to Zero. And it's a 20 mile ride through major cities across the country to not only elevate the awareness of the suicide and what an atrocity it is in the United States that we're losing veterans every day to suicide, but also to let people know that horses, like what you're doing on this podcast, exists and for people not for veterans not to give up. And, you know, I've seen people like you're saying who are scared to touch a horse and, you know, in two years are riding through Times Square on their Mustang. They help Jenna. Like it's pretty astounding to see how much horses and veterans can can grow when they're paired, you know, in the in the in the right fashion together. Sure. So as far as the, the program here, I guess my question is, if you have, you know, 10 or 15 veterans that come, do they come on a regular basis or is it a program that they kind of graduate from? How, how does all of that, that work? Cause if you have, you know, if you have 300 veterans, I don't think you could really accompany that many. Could you? So we have two full-time farms. Um, we have about 400 volunteers. Hmm. We're busy farms that are happening. What we do is we allow each veteran to come out to our farms up to twice a week at no cost. And they're allowed to bring a family member or caregiver. Twice a week is where we are at. That's our sweet spot where we can still serve and also keep up with the need. We also have a pretty elaborate flow chart. Um, what we've done is we try to add a new program every year, a program that comes from veterans saying like, I want to do that. I want to learn more about that. Recently, we added a, a cutting horse program where vets actually can learn how to ride a performance horse. Our Trail to Zero program, we have a drill team that rides every Friday night together. A group of veterans comes out and and we have our Operation Mustang. Anyways, my point is we have a flow chart. So that if you were brand new and you came in and said, I don't know anything about horses, we can start you as slow as you want to go. Okay, we're just going to go groom today. Let's just start you there. Do you need to be in private sessions? Do you want to be in group sessions? I mean, all that is on the table. There's, there's so many different programmatic opportunities at Bravehearts that, like I said, it's all custom made. And we can just take the veteran. Some people always want to do the groundwork with the horse. With the horse, that's okay. They never want to do any riding. No problem. Other people like I want to become a certified instructor to teach other veterans. And guess what? I didn't know about horses two years ago. Like we've had that evolution. Yeah, we help them to get more comfortable. And Bravehearts is a community. 
a community about helping people find purpose. And, you know, I think that regardless of our backgrounds, when we can take the focus off ourselves and make it about others, if that's another horse, that's a dog, if that's about helping another veteran, I think that's, that's a call to service. And our mission keeps growing larger and larger. It's a ripple effect because of each veteran comes in, they want to help a horse. They want to help another veteran. And they get that opportunity of, of, of growth here at our farms. And I think it's, it's awesome. And again, it's a model that works for us. You know, we have the mental health therapists available as needed, but I, I, I'll tell you, a lot of veterans who come to us they don't come here wanting to talk about their feelings or really talk at all. They just want to get away from all of it and escape. And that's okay. Cause we're going to talk about a horse and we just start there. And the horse is just a corridor, just a runway for where people can go. It's, it's awesome. Sure. And, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of therapy that happens within the community of veterans beginning to just tell other veterans, Hey, this is what I've been through. This is what I struggle with and kind of the dynamic of group therapy, but kind of self led, you know, I think that most mental health conditions calls us to kind of recluse in and, and self, you know, self focus. And, and even with depression, one of the best things you can do when you're depressed is get up and get dressed and go out and do something for somebody to make you feel like you have value. And, and when you can look at an animal who uh, would presumably be, you know, unaccepting of you and your demeanor, and you can calm that animal, you have this sense of, hey, I did something and I did something well, and I did something worthwhile. Uh, and so I can, I can definitely see how, how that would help, but that community is the key of having the, them together. Absolutely. And, and, you know, back to dogs. And again, I know we both love dogs, but I've heard there's a lot of vets that come out to our farms. They have dogs, they have service dogs that come here, the farm, whatnot. But what I've heard that's been, you know, been really heavy on my heart is you can, I've heard vets tell me all the time, I can hide at home with my dog. Like I don't have, now we've got Uber Eats and like, you can get everything to you. I don't have to go anywhere. I can just me and my dog. And what a horse does is it's going to, it, like you said, you got to get in the community. You're going to have to get out of the house. And that horse, we had a, we got a wild Mustang in one time and everybody said, when's he going to be a therapy horse, Megan? And I said, well, he's, that horse is trying to acclimate. So every day, all day long, we've had veterans come drink a cup of coffee with him, come read a newspaper by him, come read a book by him. He already is a therapy horse because those guys wouldn't be at our barn right now because all they're there right now is just to support that horse, give him some comfort, let him get acclimated. You know, when these Mustangs come in, it's like somebody dropped them right in a foreign land on a foreign planet. Like talk about hypervigilance. Like these horses are like wired for like, where am I? And how do I get out of here? And veterans see themselves right there. You know, it's just, it's an awesome process. And I would you know, beg any of your listeners, if they haven't tried horses, to give them a shot, to reach out to us. They really can be a serious game changer. Absolutely. So where would where would somebody find more information about, about Braveheart? 
Yes, sir. You can um, check out our website. It's braveheartsriding.org. It's Bravehearts, plural, um, and then riding, R-I-D-I-N-G.org. Um, you can check out our website. You can check out our social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. You can call our farms. And we also, um, we have a transportation grant so we can get veterans in crisis or in need to our farms if they need to come out um, at no cost. We'll take care of all of it. Or we also have a national database. So we've done our own homework to find other centers like Bravehearts across the country to try to connect um, veterans to um, a location that's that's like that's a that's you know got a got an outstanding accredited program um, that we would recommend. And it's a great opportunity. I know a lot of veterans have their own horses. They know what I'm talking about. A lot of veterans, you know, ride or go to other places, but however you do it, wherever you want to do it, you know, horses with, with good instruction and some good coaching are a phenomenal opportunity. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. And, and I know a lot more about something I had no idea about it. So, uh, so that's great. Are, are there any, you say you've built this network. Are there any close to me here in Arkansas that you know of just off the top of your head? I am going to look up your state and I'll look up your city and I'll tell you what's near you. I promise. Great. Great. Well, once and, again, and if, if not, we would love to have you and Lucy out whenever you just tell us when. Sure. Sounds good. All right. Well, once again, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for your service. God bless you.